0: Hey, pull up a chair.
1: It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy. I think this is just a a reminder of how much we depend on these assets and uh, a reminder that it costs money (laughs) to to look after these things. But, uh, you know, if if you ever find yourself wondering, can we afford a big investment in the future of infrastructure? Uh, Just remember what happens if one of those critical assets is not available.
2: Hey, Murphy. Hey, Mr. Gibbs. We sound like a vaudeville act.
1: Well, you know, I mean, I, th- I think we should take this show on the road. Uh, welcome. <laughs> I have to- my straw hat
2: and cane. The shuffle <laughs> off to Buffalo
1: ain't what it used to be, but
2: I'm willing to uh, sharpen it up a little. So what's going on? I could see dozens of tickets moving
1: for that. Uh, <laughs> you know, I I, I I, think I should update you that uh, infrastructure week is uh, is leaking a little bit into infrastructure months. Maybe infrastructure. Infrastructure year, infrastructure decade. (laughs) Uh, Yes, we are. um, Before you know it, we'll have the final, final, final meeting uh, of infrastructure. (laughs) I know that is one of the topics that we want to get into uh, with our guest today, Murphy.
2: We have an outstanding guest, a hero, a hero of the conservative cause, winner of the Murphy Proclaimed Burke Award for being an all-around good guy and uh, a leader in the world. I'm talking about Charlie Sykes, who joins us today. He is editor-at-large, which I I like that title because it implies you can kind of call in from Nairobi or anything. I'm editing out here uh, of The Bulwark. A hero of Wisconsin, a legend in Wisconsin Thoughtful Talk Radio, and the author of one of my favorite books, How the Right Lost Its Mind. He also hosts the Bulwark podcast, which we heartily recommend. Charlie, welcome to Hacks on Tap. Hey, good to be back. Well, here we are. Here we are, three brave souls in a crazy world. I guess we should start (laughs) (laughs) as Robert... Uh, Did with a mention? I think today we're recording this on Tuesday is our officially our third final meeting. You know the Great Washington Kabuki. Okay, slowly I turn step by step. This is it. This is the yesterday was it Memorial Day was it? Now today is it with Senator Shelley Moore Capito? And and let me do a hat tip by the way, just as we get into the topic. What a great name for a senator! It, It it harkens back to like a good old school name. 30 years ago, she would have been a he and it would have been something like, you know, Harlan Big Daddy Capito from Louisiana. So (laughs) she is an effective legislator. And I think good faith negotiations with President Biden are going on, but looks like they aren't there yet. What do we think and what do we think will happen and what are the politics of it all?
1: Yeah, I mean, what's strange to me is we are in like the third overtime of these talks. And if you... Read the news, it appears as if there's not an agreement on what the parameters of in- infrastructure are. Uh, there's no real agreement on the level of spending, and there's no agreement on the pay fors. Uh, but other than that, the talks yeah, are going doing swimmingly. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, you know, it, it reminds me of I, I think the music has stopped, the song has stopped playing, and, and nobody's really sure um, how to decouple this and figure out. If you decouple it, 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 does that make you the loser? So I, I do think it will be interesting to watch. Again, I'm less maybe concerned about what happens in the meeting and what is said after the meeting. Uh, it's, she seemed a little pessimistic in reports last night that this was going to get done uh, to the satisfaction of uh, of a bipartisan agreement.
3: I guess I'm 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 puzzled about a number of things. Actually, I'm I'm perpetually puzzled. But but one of them is that you know the infrastructure deal should have been the easiest deal but nothing is coming easy and uh you 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 look at the things that are getting jammed up right now you know election reform infrastructure reform there ought to be some sort of a bipartisan center on all of this but i think it's it's an indication of our time that that nothing is happening and i have to say that i i i'm i'm not sure look i mean mitch mcconnell has made it very clear that he's going to continue to be an obstructionist but it would seem not impossible for the Biden folks to have come up with a package that could have gotten them five to seven Republican votes. Uh, but maybe maybe not. Um, this, this this deal is obviously not going to come up with with 60 votes. And, you know, Joe Manchin continues to be the master of Washington, D.C. Um, would he really kill an infrastructure bill if it didn't have any bipartisan support? I don't know. What do you guys think? Would they actually would he actually vote against it?
2: Well, first call me Little Murphy Sunshine here cuz I'll I'll be slightly more just slightly more optimistic. Whoa, hold on, hold on. Yeah, just, yeah I mean, here we go.
1: Everyone listening take a deep breath. Murphy's going to be optimistic here. Go ahead.
2: Well, Mark. I I like to imagine what ought to be and try to work toward it. I think Biden is more incentivized to do a trillion dollar deal. The Republicans are at about 975 billion right now or as Washington would call it spare change. But historically, That is the biggest infrastructure deal ever. And if I'm Biden, I'm thinking just politically here, I would rather get that trillion dollar deal and cut some ribbons because I look forward and I'd see a morass. I can't count on Manchin unless, as Rahm Emanuel hinted in the last time uh, uh, we we had him on, that maybe he's got a Manchin commitment on some of the big social spending by reconciliation stuff in his back pocket. Then he can play hardball here. But if he doesn't have that, if I were Biden, I want to get something done because it might be the only thing. Yeah. And so I'd also want to give all my Dem Pauls opportunity to go drop by the union hall and say, all right, you know, the the unionized cement pours, you guys are set for a decade now. There's a lot of political upside for Biden and he'll get more credit. I actually think there's more incentive for Biden now than the Republicans. Now, if they gave a damn about the country, as Charlie said, they would get it done. But the Republicans are in permanent, tribal, junkyard dog, bark at everything mode. Biden, if he can do uh, uh, the big infrastructure, he'll be it'll be the first big thing Washington's done since arguably the dire days of Obamacare. So if I'm Biden, I'm almost ready to give him what they want, uh, because I think getting the trillion and he's incentivized that way politically is good for him. Uh, and now his left is—we're going to talk about that in Mansion. Yeah, he's under the squeeze, so I—we I, might have a few more last. I mean, at this time, days of negotiation because on, on the trillion, they're not far apart. The question is, will Biden let the Republicans raid some of the COVID nineteen unspent money, which is actually a pretty good idea, but it's no. kind of hard for Biden to agree to because he's got to admit there was money unneeded in that bill. And will they do anything on taxes? And finally, without meaning to filibuster, like Biden would. Um, the, the fact that Europeans are on board this 15 percent minimum tax thing and a global tax regime now is a big deal because it could let Washington land there, too, and give the Republicans cover on a little bit of revenue stuff that I think there are votes in the Republican conference to go for. So I don't know. I still see some hope because most of the things are aligned. Yeah. I worry, though, about the junkyard dog automatic no from most of the caucus because they feel like they're winning, which I don't think is right. But um, if they want to win Pennsylvania, they ought to pass some infrastructure.
1: I think you're largely right here, Murphy. I mean, I think the challenge is I think underneath this that a trillion dollars isn't actually a trillion dollars in the sense that there's in terms of new infrastructure spending, the proposal is actually only a few hundred billion. I know it, you know, uh the baseline from, and what's right, already from, there. From from Republicans. I do think there's real disagreements on pay fors, well far and above reusing covid funds because i, I look I, I think at some point you could you could probably start to reposition covid funds that aren't being used because it looks like the vaccination rate is going to be what it is and not a lot is going to move that right and so maybe you don't need as many th- as you thought you did when it was it was a much different sort of covid atmosphere i think it's the, the tax yeah. stuff is going to be big you know, I, I think the payfors are are really huge because if I'm a Democrat, I've seen what happens if you raise the gas tax. That's not going to be a cool thing. And so I, I think there's 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 still a lot. I agree with you largely, though. I think this is in Biden's interest, and I think the last sort of 48 hours probably made it even more so in Biden's interest. Yeah, I because mean, we've we've <laughs> Washington woke up to the fact that a 50-50 senate is a really hard place to do business.
2: Yeah, I just quickly in your last job as minister of information for the uh, the former regime, wouldn't you just if you had that if you were Saki and and their team, wouldn't you love the idea a week from now of Biden standing in the Rose Garden said he's the media would say he's done what nobody's done in a decade. He's got a bipartisan deal for a trillion bucks in badly needed infrastructure. That is a huge win for them. And I would be willing to pay a lot at the negotiating table if I were Biden to get that.
3: Well, so what are the progressives in the house going to do if he does that? If he gives up a a trillion dollars, if he doesn't uh, raise the corporate tax as much as they want, will there be a will there be a split or do they understand the math? Good question. My
2: experience is progressives and math don't mix. Uh, their favorite number is 110% of whatever pie you oh, put yeah, in front of them. The but you're right. You're right. Can Pelosi whip them into shape? Uh, and then in the Senate, you know, if he, if he, if what happens if Bernie and two or three threaten to break away on this? Well, not sure. enough. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, I do think that is the, the big question because in reality, I mean, again, we go back to the math here. This is This is not an ideological challenge. This is a math challenge. Uh, and I think that's, again, I think that's dawned on Washington more in the last 48 hours than maybe it had in the previous 48 days. That's also not to say that you can't go do some amount of money through reconciliation. You can take the bipartisan and still try to do some of the reconciliation because I do think there's still going to be funding priorities that aren't imagined in this bill, uh, that, that can still garner that. Because again, look for all the, 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 Beating up of Joe Manchin, who we'll get to in a second. You know, I think his idea of pay fours is far closer to where Biden is than say the Republican caucus, right? I, I think he's yeah. all for some corporate tax increases. I think he's all for some tax increases on the rich because, quite frankly, um, you know that's that's not a ton of the constituency that that he represents. I agree with you. I think look, proving that Washington can do something is important. It's important. It's probably far more important to Biden. Than it is to the Republican Party, right? There's an incentive for Biden to make this work. Republicans understand; they they just have to dust off the 2009-2010 playbook on what it's like to to prosecute an election w- without uh, without Washington doing a lot. And so, I, I think it is, as you said, I I think this is a bigger benefit to Biden, and we'll see what happens? My, my my guess is we're going to have at least two more meetings before we get to you know, the yeah, final. No, act. no. I think we, we're, we're at 11 final meetings, step by step. The, the
2: other thing is, and then Charlie, I'll be curious about your take on how the IRS will play it. But if you're a Biden political hack, I'd be thinking, you know, if we get a clean billion, even with accounting tricks that nobody sure. understands, then the Republicans can't attack it because the original Biden proposal, the so-called win, has is a target-rich environment because a lot of the human infrastructure, you know, we're going to hire an army of unionized social workers for $400 billion. Uh, that stuff it doesn't give you the cl- clean, ribbon-cutting accomplishment win. And so I think it's in Biden's interest to to, to buy off the ours a little bit and just get as we've been saying that big clean win i don't think the big biden plan was politically that good for him because there's so many right. small things you can blow up in a campaign but what and charlie if, if you heard anything about there's also this secret team of ours and deeds that we're talking i mean if it does fall apart do you think the republicans will stay full junkyard dog or there be yet another final final thing with a different group of of characters what, what, what's your kind of take on the psychology of the gop right now in this
3: well if you if you have to bet you always bet on the junkyard dog you you, you bet yeah. that that's the default the default setting uh, there but you know I, I agree with you but simply because it makes sense logically doesn't mean that it's necessarily going to happen in this environment yeah, then I we're just, doomed <laughs> I, I assume that there are four five six republicans that might go along with this uh to, to be able to do it but I don't know how, again, I, I'm sorry to keep repeating this, but th- how, how the other Democrats are going to react to this, whether the media is going to see this as a Biden cave in, um, whether you're going to have MSNBC going to have one progressive after another saying, you know, you've given veto power to these Republicans and people like Joe Manchin. This is a sign of weakness. Uh, the wheels have come off. You know, I mean, so the the messaging on this is going to be very, very complicated. It strikes me for the Biden folks because they're going to have to fend off the usual attacks from the junkyard dogs and whatever is in the package. Even if it's a clean package, you're going to get that criticism and then you're going to get criticism from the left, which one of the hundred and ten percent. So um, it's going yeah. to be it, it It will be a considerable challenge. I, I, by the way, completely agree that actually getting. A trillion dollar package through where it looks like it is roads and bridges and tangible things that's going to play well outside you know in in the country because believe it or not you know here in Wisconsin we still think of a trillion dollars as an awful lot of money we don't we don't <laughs> yeah. think of that as as, as half a loaf I mean a trillion dollars you know that that adds up that's a, that's a significant uh, expenditure but that's just me here in the Midwest. I like to call it one quarter of the
2: cost of World War II. Well, you know, that that, in people terms. All right, let's take a minute to hear from one of our esteemed sponsors.
1: Murphy, did you ever just want to be a better version of yourself? Oh, hell yes. A more confident, knowledgeable you? Anytime. Well, the fastest way to do it is to get learning. Learning about a new topic or a skill, visiting one you learned about in the past or getting up to speed on something everyone is talking about right now can not only broaden your horizons, Murphy, but can also boost your sagging self-esteem and your success too. You mean I'm not a loser? Tell me more. (laughs) That's where the Blinkist app comes in. Blinkist takes top nonfiction titles, pulls out the key takeaways, and puts them into text and audio explainers called Blinks that give you the most important information in just 15 minutes. Use Blinks to learn about topics like philosophy, history, and science, or dive into psychology, health and nutrition, or personal growth. You've got thousands of titles and 27 categories of the world's best knowledge to choose from. You know, Gibbsy, we know
2: all about this because on the campaign trail, often your governor or senator candidate, presidential candidate has to go out and face, as you well know, the media. So what do you do? You pull them aside for 15 minutes, they get briefed up, and they go out there and everybody thinks they're an expert because they learn the essential stuff in just 15 minutes. Well now you can get briefed like a presidential candidate because Blinkist takes the best nonfiction books, condenses the information, makes those Blinks easier for you to quickly gain useful knowledge, and you know, again, they go to all the the top nonfiction bestsellers and podcasts, and they pack it all into 15-minute reads or listens that you can do on any device, computer, your smartphone, whatever. That is the magic of Blinkist.
1: If you're more of a podcast person like I know you are, they've got you covered with blinks for podcasts called Shortcasts, packed into powerful 15-minute listens all in one app. It's right in your pocket so that you can learn anytime, anywhere with Blinkist. So Murphy, Blinkist can help you cover a lot of fascinating and important and popular titles quickly, like Fire and Fury, A Promised Land, or A Short History of Brexit.
2: There's so many great titles, Robert, and I'm checking out the future of capitalism because I'm worried about that. And I also want to read Letters from a Stoic. Those are two of the typical titles in the vast Blinkist library. So now Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash hacks to start your free seven-day trial and get 25% off a Blinkist premium membership. That's Blinkist,
1: spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. Blinkist.com slash hacks to get 25% off and a seven-day free trial. Blinkist.com slash hacks. Your point, Charlie, if there's five or six or seven Republicans on no. this for a bipartisan deal, you know, because this because this, this show's being brought to you by math, yeah, um, that's still not 60. No. And I think you get a bipartisan deal with six or seven Republicans, and all of a sudden the pressure goes to McConnell pretty quickly. This has always been to me the part that McConnell didn't really have control over, unless he basically has control of saying, like, he's okay with getting 57 votes on this and being yeah. still being Dr. No. Uh, but I think, again, this puts pressure on those. And, and it's a good place to segue to Manchin, uh, who, um, you know, who sort of dropped a stone in the water a bit over the weekend. Um, I, I will say just personally, I'm a little surprised at the freak out, largely because – I think if most people had been listening to right. Joe Manson answer these questions for the past three months, there's almost nothing he wrote in that op-ed that is new news. Yeah, no, no, you're right. We, we've we been talking about H.R. 1 being dead for a while. He
2: hadn't been public on it, but the filibuster is old news. I, just real quickly, one footnote, we'll move on to Mansion. There's also a fiendish trap in this thing politically, which McConnell may have probably has figured out, which is if they can do the trillion-dollar infrastructure deal with five or six Republicans is good for Biden. In Republican congressional and Pennsylvania Senate and other primaries, Trump will spout off and Republican primary candidates will start getting into an auction to who can hate the deal more, which puts them in a shitty position in the general election. Because then you got to go campaign around Pennsylvania or suburban districts saying, you know, here's the popular infrastructure thing. I'm against it because the electorate changes on you. So, there's a lot of good for Biden. So Biden, make a deal of capital. But anyway, to your point about Manchin, I agree. It's just kind of, it's like a Twitter thing now. We all know Twitter is the last place to look for a sane read on what's happening in American politics,
3: but uh, it's like worse than Republicans on Romney. I'm puzzled because um, obviously he's not the only guy who feels this way about H.R. 1. He He's he's not alone. There's There's got to be a lot of other guys quietly letting Manchin take the bullet for him. That's yeah. number one. Number two. Uh, If you really don't like Joe Manchin um, and you want to primary him or anything, then get ready for a Republican senator from West Virginia because you're not going to you're not going to get an upgrade. And number two, um, they've had plenty of opportunities to have off ramps on this bloated, you know, 800 page H.R. One, they've invested all of this emotional energy into this, which contributes to the freak out. But for months, it's been obvious he was going to vote against it. For months, it's been obvious this thing was never going to pass. I don't even think it was written to pass the United States Senate. So I guess I'm a little puzzled how they let themselves get to this particular point on an issue that they had whipped the base up to a really you know, high level of, 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 of engagement. So I, I'd be interested in hearing yeah. your take on that.
1: Well, I do think you're right there. I think that this has been very torqued up to the point where the only solution to what's happening in the state legislatures is is HR one or S one, and and I think in reality, look, I, I want to say this to to Democrats writ large, um, if you thought that if somehow you're hung up on the fact that Joe Manchin is the guy preventing um, the filibuster from disappearing. Um, uh, open a Google window and, and, and you'll find a lot of them. You'll find more than a handful of Democratic senators who have concerns about this. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying the idea that somehow Manchin and, and Kristen Cinema of Arizona are the two people holding this back. There are a handful of Democrats that are happy to have Joe Manchin Absolutely. being the person who, who wants to absorb these arrows. And again, for a history lesson, and Charlie mentioned this, let's just go through this. Joe Manchin represents a state that Joe Biden got twenty nine point seven percent of the vote in. There is not anybody in Congress that represents a a district or a state right. that is more opposite the political party that that person is in terms of the last election. Thirty nine percent. There's a thirty nine percent difference between what Donald Trump and Joe Biden got. So also to Democrats. If you are currently hitting. Attention Democrats. All right, go. If you are currently hitting give on a fundraising appeal to run a TV ad in West Virginia to put pressure on Joe Manchin, stop. Okay. Yeah. If you really want to burn that money, wait until it gets cold again and at least get the heat from that money because you are not pressuring Joe Manchin. He lives in a state in which, quite frankly, He's going to alert his constituents to turn on the television for that ad. Yeah, exactly. That ad, the ad will helps help him. him politically, okay? So if you've got $30 million and you want to run an ad campaign, there's some really important Senate races that are going on. That's a much better place to spend your money. All apologies to the, the general managers of the Charleston, West Virginia TV stations. Well, they're going to get federal grants to build the first TV st- you know studio on mars
2: when he's done of appropriations but you're right it's like forbidden planet the classic sci-fi movie when they keep blasting the monster of ray guns it only gets bigger it loves energy yeah on the mansion thing i have a theory based on you know the madness of life which is democrats are humans too everybody thinks republicans are the only crazy people in this game And so they see something that people should be legitimately outraged about, which is a Republican attempt in these state legislatures. Though there are different degrees, a lot of the bills are never going to go anywhere, but still the fool around of election access. So they go crazy. And then they call up some cynics over at the D-trip and they start working on a bill to, hey, not only should we do something about this, let's do everything about this. Let's run the damn table. Open season. And by the way, let's be a little cynical because this is a good crisis and we can get some wins here. And they put a huge monkey wrench on the system back the other way. So, and then you get this unpassable thing. Now, meanwhile, the John Lewis Act is a lot closer to like good idea, normal, maybe even doable. But I think the Dems made a mistake. They got greedy and they got frenzied. And they back themselves into a bad corner on this. But there's still time to make this thing a little less political, a little more systematic, curb the rage appetite, and take another run at it with, with uh, a, a smaller, smarter, and appropriate bill and corner the Republicans politically on that. Now, the Repubs may still go junkyard dog and just keep no. barking. But boy, I, I, in some of those swing boy. districts,
1: uh, this, this could be a bigger voter thing than people think. I can understand... Again, as I said, Joe Manchin's not the only person that doesn't want to end the filibuster on the democratic side. I get the reasoning of where he's coming from. I don't necessarily get the reasoning in the op ed as to how he got there. you're right? right His reasoning is in the modern world where it, there aren't two right sides, where really. he says it, it, right. you know we as he said we we should never this should never be done in a partisan manner and if, for for anybody that's been watching the news in the last seven months or six months you know there's a very partisan effort going on in places like Georgia and Texas uh and around the country to change the voting laws based on a, a series of lies and some uh, uh fraud that that never happened uh so I get the the concern there and I, I don't really understand the kind of Manchin thing because it seems to me Manchin basically just said to Mitch McConnell in an op-ed in West Virginia, Hey, if you don't want anything to happen, just hold all of your guys and I'll have to throw up my hands and say, Well, sorry, we can't get bipartisan, so we can't do anything. And I'm not sure that's I'm not sure that's really the end game here for a workable federal government. No, it's I would not say, a workable. Yeah. I would no. say to Democrats, there are avenues. You mentioned this. Uh, one, oh. you can break up aspects of, of HR one or S one, and and, and it, it, you don't have to pass the whole thing. Now, some people will say, "Well, it's all needed." I get it. Break it up. Um, two, the courts will review the laws that Republicans are passing in some of these states. And and I know people will say, yeah. "Oh, how do we depend on the courts?" Well, the courts did some good work in 2018 and 2020 to protect voting. So that's not bad. And the third is, as Murphy mentioned, is this John Lewis Act, which reinstates valuable part of the Voting Rights Act that was struck down by the Supreme Court, uh, and quite frankly, could be a good pathway. Now, Democrats are likely to say yes, but it's basically Lisa Murkowski on the Republican side that's for that, and uh, and everybody else is against it. But I, I do think there has to be. If I'm a Democrat and I want to see some voting reform. It's time to kind of scramble the playing field and think through a different set of coalitions that gets to a a similar, if it won't be the same, but a similar answer.
3: See, this is why, though, I think it's political malpractice uh, what what they have been doing, because I actually put myself at the at the far edge of being alarmed about what's going on at the state level. I mean, I think people ought to be concerned about uh, the, the what the legislatures are doing based on the big lie. Uh, setting themselves up to possibly overturn the 2024 election. I mean, this is, this is real stuff. So -hmm. then the question is, do you put all, do you you come up with legislation that can actually get passed that actually rises to the moment? I think the New York times editorial was absolutely right. HR one does not really address the actual crisis that you face. Also, from just a political messaging point of view, this bloated, huge thing is easy easy for Republicans to run yep. against. You know, it federalizes elections. There's just a lot in it, a lot, lot of lot of targets. Whereas the John Lewis bill has the whole shine of voting rights. It's cleaner. It's got history yep. to it. I mean, just remember when the Voting Rights Act was passed back in 1965. I think it got what did it get? 70 votes. It was a bipartisan. Everett Dirksen, the Republican leader, was yep. one of the co-sponsors when it was reauthorized under under bush i think the vote was unanimous you know voting rights used to be bipartisan so you know challenge mitch mcconnell you want your guys to vote against the voting rights act that's something that people can understand i think that there's some power uh, behind it and instead they've been dicking around with this other unpassable piece of legislation but the crisis is real and I guess my challenge would be: if Democrats really believe that what's happening now is an existential crisis to democracy, then act like it. Don't 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 sit around like you're at some frat house and you know throwing up various ideas and packing <laughs> this thing and solving every problem in the world.
2: Orient for victory, not narrow political stuff. Right. I and mean, the problem is they become politically greedy about it, and they got to get yes. out of that. If it is a systemic fix, then do the John Lewis thing. And you know, Mansion can also. He can play his own bluff game with McConnell, which is look, you know, if we don't get Lewis going, then there's this theory of the selective filibuster override, right, where you can carve it out, and that's a pretty good threat for him to make at that point. So it's be for what's going to happen, Mitch. Um, and then on his op-ed, just really quickly, I totally get your point, Robert, because it's hard to say that filibuster is good because it forces bipartisan work, but when the other side are all Trying to stab you with a fork and screaming bub its its awful hard to have any faith in that. But Mansion's good point, I think, is it doesn't help tribalism to ram through legislation that controls election law on a partisan basis. That so you don't you know so terrible things are happening in eleven states. So let's do a terrible thing federally. That may not be the fix, but I think Mansion using every lever he has, and he has quite a few, to do something a bit smaller. Won't satisfy the activist-winged Democratic Party that wants Nuremberg trials on every Republican senator, and a couple of them
1: may deserve it, but it could work. I see your point. I mean, I think the challenge ultimately is that under that logic, I don't see the back end of the, what if this doesn't happen, right? And I think this is what leads would lead me to believe that what Rom and others have said is that there is some kind of deal or there is some kind of nod that Manchin is doing because quite frankly, I mean I get his idea of you know this this sort of Mr. Smith goes to Washington romanticism on one side, but again it, it, the the you can change all the partisan stuff in the world in the states. And a, a minority of senators can say no, and he says, "Well, sorry, we just can't. Progress just can't happen." And so, I do think there has to be a there has to be a a, a but and on on the op ed that maybe got edited out, or quite frankly, it's just the quiet part that he hasn't yet said out loud. I do think again, you know, he's challenged the he's challenged his own party and Republicans to get on board the John Lewis Act. Uh, the, the, The best thing I think to do, and I know this is going to frustrate Democrats, is we're going to have to show, you're going to have to show again, and you're going to have to show people in the Senate that Mitch McConnell isn't, this isn't on the level, okay? This isn't on the level. Yeah, yeah, fork him with something reasonable rather than something extreme. All right, hold that thought. We're going to take a short break, and now a word from our sponsors.
2: Robert, remember the feeling you got as a kid getting tucked into bed or the feeling you get now in the arms of somebody you love? Hey, wait a minute. What am I, Dr. Romance here? I thought we're selling alarms. Oh, here it is. Safe and secure. That's the feeling. And it's true. It's a feeling of security that only comes through a human connection. And that's why the people at Simply Safe Home Security are so important. Simply Safe has an award-winning system that has all the technology bells and whistles you'd expect this day. It gives you that feeling of safety. And I'll tell you, in this modern era, that is a good thing that Simply Safe can provide you and your family. Because they really take it to the next level. They are there around the clock, anytime you need them. And the thing is, Simply Safe just makes it so easy. It takes about two minutes to customize the system on their website, SimplySafe.com/hacks,
1: where you can check it all out. So Murphy, whether it's a fire, a burglary, a medical emergency, a pipe burst, or even a problem while you're setting up the system, Simply Safe has a person with the expertise you need ready to help 24/7. And when you know there's always someone there to help, well, that's the feeling that you talked about, Murphy. And you just don't get that with any old security system. To learn more about how Simply Safe can help protect you and your family, visit simplysafe.com/hacks today to customize your system and get a free security camera. You also get a 60-day risk-free trial, so there's nothing to lose. That's Safe. S-I-M-P-L-I-S-A-F-E dot com/hacks.
3: Here's another thing that puzzles me. We're talking about this whole narrative of the Democrats in disarray and and how the Democratic agenda is, is really in trouble because of this one senator. Meanwhile, the former president and perhaps future president of the United States is telling people he might be reinstated into the presidency in August. And I guess the question is, how come Democrats have not hung that around every single Republican senator's neck? That here you have a party that is all in on a man who is completely crazy, who is listening to my pillow guy? We find out over the weekend that the White House was pressuring the Department of Justice to investigate batshit crazy theories about uh, the election being flipped from somebody's satellites in it, from Italy or something like that. And yet Republicans are like joined to the hip with this guy, and yet, and yet, they're not being held to the fire on all of this. I mean, it's it is. I, I, I maybe yeah, because I'm looking amazing. at this, watching the Republican Party just on fire with absolute insanity, deranged, delusional thought. And we're all going, what's with Joe Manchin over here? Uh, yeah. it's just, I mean, at, at, at well, what at yeah. what point you know should Mitch McConnell be asked every single day? Uh, or why are they not putting you know resolutions on the floor saying, can we just, you know, put everybody on the record that uh, you know about the election, about these lies, whatever. I mean Republicans are better at sort of fixating on you know like you know hanging on you know like a pit bull on granny when they want to make an issue when they want to advance something. Yeah. I'm just not seeing that with the Democrats.
1: Part of it is I do think the Democrats understand their governing window may be small and right. and, and they've they've got to spend a lot of time. Yeah, the midterms are looming. Yeah, right. I, I do think the best Democratic boogeyman is still Donald Trump, and I think whether or not he gets. Uh, brought out and made such in June uh, of 2021. I don't know. I can assure you by June of 2022, um, you know, you will you you will think watching Democratic ads that he's not only been reinstated, but he's wearing a crown. So I okay. I, I definitely think that that is uh, that's coming because I think there's nothing that rallies quite frankly both sides quite like Donald Trump. There's it it still is the right. the biggest motivating factor on one side to get out and the biggest motivating factor to prevent and therefore to get out and vote. So I, I do think you'll see a lot of that. Trump made his, uh, his re-emergence. We, we're we not going to get into whether or not he had his pants on right, but- um, <laughs> Yeah, that I, is an interesting, that
2: video. With yeah, but then, let me just interject yeah. one more thing on the Dems, uh, then we'll move on to the orange menace. Biden is suffering a little bit. Like, why are the Dems so fractious, as Charlie says, versus the Repubs? who has looked the other way while well, Trump like smears goat blood on his face and screams. The thing is, Biden is suffering from the old political problem of coalition narcissism, which is every group in the Democratic Party thinks they are the ones who got Biden elected. So therefore, they deserve to get everything they want. And so the progressives think that, and that has emboldened them to make demands, and they have enough voices in the caucuses to make trouble. I think Biden's in for more and more trouble
1: on that front because they just feel that empowered. It's, it's a real challenge. I I think that's right. I think that the challenge will ultimately be, as I mentioned, that governing window might be small. And the question is, do you want to post some wins and make some progress or do you want to, uh, do you want an issue to go into an election that you might come out and not have the ability to, 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 to do. And I do think, look, I mean, we've talked about this for a while, 50-50 50-50 was always going to be tough. And yep. understanding that the likelihood, even, even at the very beginning of the year, that the filibuster was going to disappear, the likelihood of that was really, really, really small. And I will say I've all this commentary I see on Twitter of like, you know, well if Joe Biden would just tell people we're going to get rid of the filibuster there was I was reading something on Twitter before yeah, I almost broke my phone or somebody said you know if, Joe, if if Joe Biden would have gone to West Virginia the first day and sat down with Joe Manchin we'd have we'd have gotten rid of the filibuster and I'm like please yeah, sure like like hang up your Twitter license if you think that's actually would have Well
2: it shows you how brilliant the founding fathers were because they they saw Twitter coming and they thought <laughs> all right let's build the Senate so half the country, fifty votes, can't immediately invite the queen back and you know go crazy. So the Senate is designed to slow down the mob, and Twitter is the mob.
1: I mean, look, I get the the passion around the filibuster is it's exercised now, not as it was either. You know, any remote intention, but again, I think it it Democrats, progressives, moderates, conservative Democrats, whatever, are all going to have to come, again come to the conclusion, and particularly this summer around what's your appetite for getting something done? What is, yeah. what's your appetite for, this may not be FDR, but it can still be pretty good. I, I've mentioned to, to Democrats, you know, we, we, there's there's always, you know, 10 years on, they're still hand-wringing about the Affordable Care Act and Obamacare. I mean, you know, sign-ups now over 31 million people getting health insurance through Obamacare. So sometimes these things age better than they do, uh, as Charlie said, on, uh, on cable TV networks. Let's take a minute to do an ad and we'll be right back. as we've talked a lot about, it has been a tough year. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I think a lot of people are, they're missing that connection. They're struggling. There are things that are interfering with their happiness that are preventing them from achieving their goals. And uh, I think there's something that can help. Better help will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. This is not a crisis line. It's not self-help. This is a professional counseling service that's done securely online with a broad range of expertise available, which may not always be available in your local
2: area. So that means the service BetterHelp H-E-L-P is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime And send a message to your counselor, you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in, oh boy, one of those uncomfortable waiting rooms as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. So visit their website and get this. Read the testimonials that are posted daily. They're up to date. And they really kind of tell you the story that people have used BetterHelp to make their lives better and find happiness. So visit BetterHelp.com slash
1: hacks. That's BetterHelp.com and join the over you tell them 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional in fact so many people have been using better help that they're recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states this podcast is sponsored by better help and hacks on tap listeners get 10% off their first month at better help that's com slash hacks <laughs>
2: So talking about aging not so well, returning to the Elba of America down at Mar-a-Lago, where the Emperor Trump is – apparently, from press reports that I totally believe, as Charlie said, he's talking to crazy people like the pillow king and still obsessed with the bamboo ballots in Arizona – they literally are doing like the insane royal court down there. Mr. President, you'll be back soon. Pack your bag. I know. What should I wear on day one of the rest? I mean, it is madness. What do we think is coming? I guess he's out on the campaign trail now, not getting much coverage. He had to shut his blog down because it ranked below modern screen door repair for, for listenership, which was a good sign. I do think Trump is fading even in the party, but the perception is reality. And among the electeds and the federal side, the perception and instead, is that the guy is invincible? What, what do we think the next 100 days will be with
3: the Donald? I'm having flashbacks to 2015 where everybody is saying quietly, you know, he's completely crazy. This isn't going to happen right. Something's going to come along. Somebody else is going to uh, take him out or, or something's going to happen. Right. Um, but, you know, yes, he may be fading, but nobody's willing to stand up against him. I mean, he's, he's still the presumptive nominee of his party. And I'll tell you, just sort of stepping back from whatever he does the fact that he continues to push these big lies and the Arizona story is yeah. going to continue to fester out there. I mean, this, this is a real danger to the country. You know, after January 6th, I think we ought to have you know a wake up call that there are millions of people that believe this stuff. They believe the lies. They're stoking the anger, the outrage, the paranoia, the disillusionment, and that can lead to, to actual violence. And, and I know that may sound alarmist, but no, I, am we've seen You're right. I am alarmed about this, that, that in fact, you know, whatever the impact on the Republican Party, it's bad for the country. And unfortunately, Republicans have just become frozen. I mean, they're, they're like, you know, the they're, they're, they're rabbits that are just sort of fixed, that they know that something terrible is coming, but they can't move. And so it, it continues to move ahead. But I am worried um, about what's going to happen, um, the, the threat of domestic violence. I mean, I, you've been reading these January 6th. Uh indictments. That was not a one-time thing. That's ongoing. And Trump is going to do nothing to shut it down. He's coming here to Wisconsin in a couple of weeks, having that big rally with my pillow guy, you know, and he's going to be there with Diamond and Silk and Dinesh D'Souza and Charlie Kirk, and Sheriff Clark. And they're going to be talking about how the election was stolen and people are going to be angry and paranoid and crazed. Uh, so uh this is not gonna the, the fever is not yeah, breaking anytime grim. soon, guys.
1: Yeah, and I'll t- tell you, Charles. I pick up on your analogy and just disagree slightly. I don't yeah. think the rabbits know something bad is coming. I think the rabbits are marching behind the guy who's about well, to are. kill the rabbits. Okay. I mean, th- this. Is, I mean, I, I. To your point, I mean, I think there's nothing that is impeding the. I mean, he's the ultimate hostage taker because the people he's taken hostage are now. Happy to be hostage. Yeah, they're no, you're, on you're, board. You're right. And, and look, you, you mentioned this sort of like, how come people aren't getting asked this? I do think when we get into election season in in a more fulsome way, you're going to have people say, okay, so you were endorsed by Donald Trump in the North Carolina Senate because he's now getting involved in right. these Senate races, much to the chagrin of the Republicans in Washington. You know was this election stolen is yeah. should Donald Trump have been reinstated is he the rightful president is Joe Biden legitimate and the repair work that republicans need to do in a lot of these senate races in the suburbs is going to be stunted for at least two more years because nobody that is on the ballot to your point charlie is going to get mm-hmm. out there and and do and dispense with the ideas around the big lie because they understand that th- there's a fear in a lot of these places far more on on the republican side than the, than they're worried about the democrats and that's why everybody's running in lockstep that's why nothing despite the fact that it should have changed nothing's changed
3: my my, my rabbit analogy was terrible because you're right this is <laughs> this is willing in fact even calling them hostages is is perhaps giving them too much credit because they are willing they yes. are going along with all of this they are they have they they have lined up behind it. They've made conscious decisions. It is completely voluntary on their part. So yeah. they are they're 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 not little rabbits. They are they're right there lined, que- queued up for the Kool-Aid.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's like a unification church marriage, fifty thousand yeah. people and Shea Stadium or wherever the hell they did it. Nobody looks around and says, what the fuck are we doing? You know, (laughs) they're also cowards. Thank God the Republican Congressional Caucus was not in charge of landing on Normandy Beach or we'd all be speaking German because their self-preservation instinct is ruling their moral compass. Now, the truth is, I'm not sure the Democrats would be a lot better. It's been so easy to be a Democrat in the year of Trump because you can condemn him with zero political cost. In fact, it helps you. If there was a Democratic Trump, I do worry that we might find through human nature they're just as bad. I do hold some little Murphy sunshine hope that the primaries in the summer of next year are going to be a market moment for Trump's real power in the party. Because, Robert, you're right. He's going to show up and make these races about him, which is terrible for the party. It's backwards. It's a losing argument. And it'll be the crazy side of him, like the election wasn't real. And January 6th was a picnic that went a little wrong. You know, all that crazy. But I think Gonzalez in Ohio is going to win if they don't wipe out Kinzinger's district. I think he has, in redistricting, he has a good shot to win. I think Katko will win. The 10 who voted to impeach Trump are all going to have tough primaries. One or two might retire. But I think the overwhelming number of them are going to prevail. And I think Cheney will win. She's going to have a multi-way primary there. And, and uh, we got some sound for her because there's no doubt she's fighting. So I think Catco up in New York, is he might not even have an opposition. Bottom line is there are going to be a lot of test primaries of people who took on Trump. And I think most of them in tough primaries are going to do pretty well. I think Liz Cheney is going to win. Remember, she doesn't need 50%. The Trump guys tried to change the rules to do that, and they failed. In Wyoming, she won her first race with, I think, about 39, 40 percent of the vote. And there are, of course, 14 people in aluminum foil hats out there who want to run as the, the, the Trumper. Now, my guess is most of them will be forced out, but a couple might. So it'll be a plurality race. And we have a little sound from her we're going to go to next. But I, I do think much, and this is an ancient poll here, but remember when Harris Wofford won a special election about health care mm-hmm. uh, and he wasn't expected to win. Instantly, the entire media narrative became everything's about health care. Right. And if a bunch mm-hmm. of these non-Trump congressional candidates are able to win their primary, the bulk of them, the media narrative will go to, hey, maybe the emperor has no clothes. Maybe he's in the past. And that is the moment for both Trump imitators to try to pass the torch for the populism and non-Trump regulars to try to move. So I, I think as dire as it looks, we're a year away from – the real test. And that'll be the battle for the soul of the party.
1: I agree with you that I think some of these guys, uh, and, and, and men and women are going to get saved, as you said, by the the dynamics of a multi-candidate primary that they, they don't have to get 50% in. I think it will be interesting to watch some of these statewide races. You know, Trump went to North Carolina, uh, right. his daughter-in-law declined to run. Uh, he endorsed, uh, Ted Budd, a congressman, Republican congressman, in a in a in a already in a crowded primary, including the former two term republic or I don't know if he's two term or not, but former Republican governor of North Carolina. So it is going to be interesting. And and, and Pat McCrory went, immediately went back to the uh, the 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 press at the North Carolina Republican dinner and and was trying to sort of spin this as. Oh, Trump got some bad information and all this kind of stuff. So it's going to be interesting yeah, to watch. He didn't get the memo. There was an email problem. And
2: yeah, by the way, Mc- uh, Governor, you are free to steal shamelessly our old uh, slogan for Jeb Bush in '98 about Buddy McKay, he's not your buddy. Well, I think that guy's not your bud. But yes, there, that's going to be a rip-roaring primary. And there's no guarantee that I think the Trump advantage is a plus in that primary, but I don't think it's a lock. We'll see what kind of candidate Bud is.
1: Yeah, some of this will depend on the rules, the primaries, and and certainly the political geography as as we go forward. Speaking of, it's a great time to segue as we think through how Republicans are dealing with Donald Trump. You know, I was struck um, as we talk about Liz Cheney, um, and I I, you know I don't want to go back in the way back machine to like two thousand and six and two thousand and seven, but I am fascinated, and I want to to talk to you two um, at. Cheney versus Bush, and I don't mean Dick Cheney versus George W. Bush, I I think it's fascinating how um, two families that are obviously very connected in our political history, uh, George P. Bush now running for Attorney General of Texas uh, and seeking Donald Trump's endorsement actively, uh, despite all of what happened uh, involving his family, and how Liz Cheney is dealing with this. I'm fascinated to watch yeah. You, you know, how how all this might transpire. What uh what say you two smart Republican poo Well I'm gonna go pop think, popcorn while you do this. i
2: I'll, <laughs> I'll be I'll be quick, rarely. George P is existing in a Texas Republican primary, which has certain rules of gravity, and so that landscape is affecting his strategy like any sane candidate. It's not my favorite day of the week seeing it. But I, I understand the hard politics of it. Cheney, on the other hand, she has a base already. In Wyoming, she's a powerful figure. And she is a conservative's conservative on most, most issues. Part of the dimension, the Texas thing is more the cult of personality, and you're either with them or against them. The Wyoming thing is also a battle between traditional Republican conservatism and Trump, and you know, I'll be fair and balanced here, know-nothing brain-dead populism. And you can hear that when she talks. She dropped by the Axe Files, and I'm going to earn us a dollar here by, by plugging it. And we should listen to how she frames the argument to get an idea of her, and then maybe we can talk some more about George P. So let's listen to Liz Cheney talk about what she's doing and why. And it's interesting how she frames
0: it. This isn't a policy disagreement. This is the president provoking an attack on the Capitol to prevent us from counting electoral votes. Both McCarthy and Scalise, certainly McCarthy made clear that he understood that that's what had happened in his remarks on the floor on January 13th. So there was no question in the days after the attack what had happened. There was no question who was responsible then. But then, of course, Kevin McCarthy decided to go to Mar-a-Lago at the end of Mm -hmm. January, And I think that was a real moment where it became clear we weren't going to be able to move forward. And focus on substance and policy because we had leaders who were embracing the president who had just been impeached. What Donald Trump did is the most dangerous thing, the most egregious violation of an oath of office of any president in our history. And so the idea that a few weeks after he did that, the leader of the Republicans in the House would be at Mar-a-Lago, essentially pleading with him to somehow come back into the fold or whatever it was he was doing to me was inexcusable.
2: All right. That was a good sound bite. And while you were listening to the bite, my friend Robert was teasing me about I haven't done a Mary Cheney once. Uh, Liz's sister is a friend of mine, and I always malaprop that. But one new medication and two, I did do it earlier, but we fixed it with editing. <laughs> so the record of me screwing that up is unbroken. But anyway, there you go. Charlie, you're a historian of the party. How How do you kind of interpret her positioning the traditionalist versus what uh, george p is looking at as he primaries the attorney general uh, down there paxton in texas
3: well i mean your, your analysis of the of the base is is correct i'm going to look at it from a slightly different point of view just the, with the character that's being revealed here liz cheney has uh you know, 100 times the cojones of george p i mean G- george p is i mean this is this is just a shameful sucking up i mean let's leave aside the politics for a moment the the zeal with which he's willing to throw members of his own family under the bus he's putting out like this beer koozie you know with trump saying you know you're the one bush that i like um and and so it, it it he's gone so far out of his way to say i am kissing up to trump over the bodies of my own father and grandfather i'm sorry I can't see this through a strictly political lens. I mean, this guy is the worst of the worst in terms of just not just politicians, but human beings. I'm just blown away in contrast by the character of of Liz Cheney. And I don't know whether she's gonna survive that primary, but the lady is not for turning. The guts that she is showing by standing up, she is not shutting up. Um, She has paid a significant price for all of this. Uh, It highlights how the fact that, you know, I guess I would slight I'm I'm not as rosy um, in terms of my uh, about the future as you are, maybe, Mike, because I don't think that there is a battle for the soul of the Republican Party. I think it's over. I think we lost. I think there's not a civil war. I think there's just a purge. And the fact that Liz Cheney is not shutting up, she's not uh, she's not modifying what she's saying is is extraordinary. So I think it says a lot about the character of these people. I don't know that that George P says anything about the Bush family as a whole, which I for which I have tremendous respect. But it says an awful lot about him and what he's willing to do to get, you know, the shitty job that he's running for. And by the way, how fucked up does Texas Republican politics have to be that you have somebody, you know, that you have a a primary challenge between a corrupt incumbent like Paxton, uh, you know, a, a slobbering sycophant like George P and possibly Alan West, you know secessionist conspiracy theorists who who might get into that race, I mean, how screwed up must the Republican Party be, yeah,
2: in the literary version, West wins by being the worst uh yeah. no, I hear you, you know I'm an old Bush operative with Jeb, so I've known George P forever, but i let's put it this way i 'll go back to practical politics mm-hmm. uh he runs the risk of being defined as the biggest suck up in Texas, yes. Which no? is politically poisoned. So this is far from an assured strategy, and it
1: certainly is a, uh, a morally flexible one. Mike, let me let me press you a little bit. Char- Charlie sort of alluded to this, but he's on your team, so he was much nicer than than I want to frame the question. Thanks, Robert. You. <laughs> I'm warming up. I think we're potato. having technical difficulties here, but <laughs> yeah. let's get to that mailbag. <laughs> no, I mean, Mike. My question is: you expressed yeah. hope that the party has a pathway away from Trump. And yet we know, I mean, there's no bone in George P Bush's body that would normally align him with Donald Trump, except for the pure politics of understanding that in order to get elected and continue the job of, of being an elected official means you have to suck up. So how does this feedback loop get broken? How does the, the hope that you have other than, sort of 10 members of the House that were courageous enough to walk out on the thin limb. But how does the Republican, how does that circle get broken if everybody looks at their own political map and says, if I suck up, I win. If I don't, I lose. And so therefore, I'm for sucking up. No, no, look. First of all, let, let me clarify the uh, the optimist here,
2: the uh, little Murphy sunshine.
1: I knew uh, the company. medication would wear off eventually. Uh, uh, yeah,
2: no, no, no. <laughs> you, you guys are, you're at the 100% end. I still think there's a sliver of hope. Uh, That's all I'm saying, and I'm I'm clinging to that. I'm also Irish, and as Kipling said, we are the race that God made mad. Our wars are all happy. Our songs are all sad. So even if it's down to Charlie, Crystal, and I standing in the street with a pint of Guinness and a stick of dynamite, the fight will continue. That's what we do. So I do hold up some hope. You never, ever, ever give up. That said, the current feedback loop is totally suck up to Trump because you fear your primary voters and nothing in life apparently is more important than a cheap haircut in the house barbershop. That is the current Glue that's holding the once mighty GOP together. And it is a crime against history because we are opening up the gates to the left, which, in our conservative point of view, is full of bad ideas and bad policy, although plenty of good people. So, we're, 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 selfishness is taking the place of what a lot of us who signed up for this a long time ago used to call the cause. So, how does that change? It changes in a couple of ways. One, the perception, which in politics is always the reality, of Trump's superpower diminishes. He's a a Crenshaw, a Josh Hawley, and this populism is sour and evil. I'm very disappointed in Crenshaw, but a kind of a trump light starts to take the place generationally as Trump gets older. By the way, I have a friend who's an insurance actuary. He's like, relax about Trump. Computer says 3.2 years. Uh, Tell him to have more meatloaf. So... You know, the one thing we know about politics is it's always changing. And so I think there could be a Trump decline based on health. I think there could be a Trump decline based on going to jail. I think there could be a Trump decline based on new mini-Trump competition going forward. Elections are about the future. And I think we're going to find out that this perception that being if you don't do what Trump says will kill you in your primary, that is the current equation that's driving him, may be disproven a fair amount of times. In in uh, the midterm elections coming up, the primary season. That to me is the last great battle to find out. But right now, absolutely, the perception is Trump is God. Therefore, do what God wants for eighty five percent of these guys. Jail and genetics aside, if
1: if Trump runs in twenty twenty four, where you, where both of you, is he the nominee?
3: Yeah, front runner. I'm not sure he's the nominee again. I think he's the nominee. I don't know that anybody is. any of the uh, the successors are willing to stand up against him, and I think that it's going to be you know by by default that he's going to be the nominee. You know, even though you know the usual suspects, the same people in twenty fifteen were whispering this can't happen. Don't worry, you know, something will come up. Yeah, and I was one of them. I didn't think he'd win the nomination. Well, None I didn't of either. The, the people yeah. did, and then
0: we no. had
2: the moment. But I, that is to be. Let's put it this way: what we know now, he could be a big factor and could be the nominee. Yeah. But there's a lot to happen. Now, I, yeah. I'm kind of intrigued by this Bond villain thing now. Some radio talk show guy, no offense, um, a, yeah. a, a much uh, a less polished and impressive uh, mm. version of that once noble uh, profession, uh, suggested – and this is actually so insane it's intriguing. Trump parachutes into a congressional district, knocks off the local Charlie Bag of Donuts gladhander, and gets himself in a safe district yeah. elected to Congress in Florida, which he could do. Then he goes to the caucus, and they've won based on redistricting. They got a six-vote lead, though him doing this would affect the election because it would make it about him. And he gets elected speaker. You know, there you go. Pelosi handing
1: the gavel to Trump. How's that for your dream journal, Robert? Well, the one thing I would say is just don't tell Trump you don't actually have to be a member of the House to be speaker. I mean, well, he is. Even have to go- yeah,
3: I, I, I we
1: told you not to say that. We know he <laughs> listens. Yeah. You know, it, it'll be interesting to to see. I mean, I I. I think what will be fascinating over the next year and a half is whether or not does Trump have the discipline to run a party without the apparatus to run a party?
3: You see, that's a good question.
1: And, and you know, I'm, I'm still struck by this idea that he loathes Lisa Murkowski. But there was that report a few months ago that, like, he keeps saying he's going to go to Alaska, but he's told his advisors it's a really long flight. And, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> you know,
3: it's sort of like... It is a really long flight. It's a beautiful state, but yeah. That's a good question. But don't count on the jail thing, just him from running. Um, I don't see any of these indictments doing anything other than strengthening his hand in the Republican Party the way things are right now. Right, the media the, 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 and the, the runs deep runs stand are out it. to
2: get me. Right, right, yeah. and run against a conviction. I once worked for a candidate who was running for governor essentially because he thought if he was elected, they wouldn't prosecute him because it was kind of oh, a yeah. minor offense. But eventually he uh,
1: he went to jail uh, and then got out, a guy I liked a lot. As we record this, uh, everyone should understand we've got some interesting primaries tonight or maybe not so interesting primaries in Virginia and North uh, and New Jersey. Uh, legislative elections, gubernatorial elections, down-ballot stuff. Keep your eye on that. Uh, and I do think, and we didn't get into this, but we maybe can get into this a little bit next week because um, you know, both the president and the vice president are spending a considerable amount of time outside of the country over the next seven days. Kamala Harris in, in Central America and Mexico, uh, and of course Biden going to uh, the UK for the G7 Uh, And then to Brussels for NATO meetings before going to Switzerland and looking into the soul of Vladimir Putin. Let me tag that Vice President Harris thing with one bitter
2: right-wing Republican observation about the media. She has appropriately gone to Guatemala to address the immigration crisis. And she said, well, there, don't come here, uh, which is a message that needs to be heard. But if a Republican had flown there and said, don't come here, we would have seven days of hysterical media coverage of the nativism of the Republican Party. There is a double standard. OK, I got that off my chest. I get to be a Republican for a minute and a half here before we go back to damning Trump and his fear of long flights to Alaska. Exactly the kind of man of steel you want in the Oval too, Office.
1: For God's sakes, it's not like hes It's not like he's in a middle seat in row 32 of, of Alaska Airlines, for God's sakes.
2: No, it's funny. Okay, one one quick story, true story. When I was uh, working on the Bush campaign, the President H.W., uh, I made this big play uh, to get President Bush, George H.W. Bush, to go on Johnny Carson's final show to thank him with four hundred thousand ratings, uh, and. Ailes was up for it, and the Carson producers were interested in it. And we went through the campaign system, and they're big quite Well, we don't have an L.A. message because of the riots, and it's a long flight. I'm like, you fly a house, not a plane, <laughs> and it's the biggest thing on television this decade. And we're not going to do it because we don't have an impromptu message to stop on the way at a convenience store, and we're afraid we're going to ask about the L.A. riots. That was the machine that reelected that good, good man that I was proud to work for. Anyway, why don't we play some music? All right, Hackaroos, if you have a question, you know what to do. Email us at hacksontap at gmail.com, hacksontap at gmail.com. Now, if you want to take objection to what Robert said about Manchin and the Democratic Party, you should mail or email David (laughs) Axelrod at the University of Chicago Institute of Politics. All right. So first question for our esteemed guest, our special guest hack himself, Mr. Charlie Sykes from Travis who is not only a great American, but has a county named after him in Texas. Travis wants to know, we often hear platitudes from elected leaders and broadcast personalities such as, quote, our democracy is under attack, unquote and that this is a, quote, perilous time for our system of government. But it seems most of the populists, even those articulating the platitudes, lack any sense of urgency to the moment. Are people publicly discussing the current circumstance and the broader historical contest of fascist socialist conflict or making the direct comparisons to the rise of Hitler, Mussolini, Franco, etc.? Should they be as a means of motivating people to act, or is that too scary or too fringe? What should people be doing?
3: OK, so I've already uh, admitted that I'm I'm on the alarmist uh, end of the of the of the spectrum here. And I actually do think that we're finding out that America is not actually immune to history, that that uh, we may be exceptional, but that doesn't mean that we can't lose the democracy. So I am I am alarmed. I I do. I see the parallels that the letter writer is referring to. On the other hand, you know, he's asking, should we be talking about Mussolini and Hitler more? Um I'm not sure that that's the way to win the argument. Um, I'm not the. I think there might, you know, be there might be people who will roll their eyes about all of that. But I, I guess I would answer it this way: Look, if if in fact these commentators and these politicians do think this is an existential threat, then just act like it. And I, I often get that sense that. You know there's all the rhetoric about the existential threat but then it's politics as usual and then you yeah. go back to the whole you know buffet of other stuff so there ought to be some alarm i think it's going to grow as time goes on i think that what people in terms of action is you know again do everything you can to highlight the attempted coup that we just Live through. You know, that is not ancient history. We had a Mm -hmm. president of the United States that wanted to overturn a free and fair election. We had an assault on the U.S. Capitol. It's an ongoing threat. So we're not going to have a commission, but I think the Congress should do everything possible to continue to highlight it, continue to focus on it, continue to understand what the nature of the threat is. You know, if in the background you're thinking we're dealing with a Reichstag fire type type thing, that's fine. I'm not sure that I would recommend that as uh, as a rhetorical tool, though.
1: Yeah, never lead with Hitler is my general
3: never advice on persuading no.
2: people.
1: Yeah. No. All right, Mike. Let me ask you this. This seems right up your conspiracy alley. Are you ready? Alongside reigning in big tech, embracing more inquiry and transparency around, cue the spooky music, UFOs. <laughs> seems to be an emerging bipartisan issue in Washington. What are the politics of this issue looking ahead? What say you, Murphy? What's the what 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 are the politics what's the politics of UFOs? Well
2: clearly it's only swamp gas and there is no need to worry earthlings. You know, there's been obsession about this in our pop culture for a long time. It peaked in the 70s, but now it's more evidence-based. Uh, there have been politicians interested. Marco Rubio has always been a a driver of more transparency on this. I'm not quite sure why, but uh, – and Harry uh, Reid in Nevada – Former Democratic leader, I think he wants to meet his parents. He's been very focused on the UFO thing. I will say what has changed is the sensor technology we now have is much more advanced. And there are people in the armed forces, and this is something people at the highest levels of our national security apparatus talk about, who are detecting things with our multi billion dollar detectors that they cannot explain that do things at least the detectors think they do things that are aerodynamically impossible of current technology so now we're going to have some real transparency and i think one of the big goals here laudably is to destigmatize this so if you're coming up in the air force or navy and you're in a pilot uh if you're coming up in the air force or navy and you're flying and you see something talk about it you know they're going to have a centralized database there's going to be more transparency so I don't think it'll have a direct impact. I mean, the House Republican Conference will be against them. The minute they hear alien, they go into a frenzy. But in general, I think there might be more interested in the space program. I never liked CD, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, where they put up the big antennas and send a signal out to space. To me, that was like the diner neon sign, open 24 hours, come have lunch. You know, I'm not still not sure why we We did that because maybe they heard us and they're curious and we're like the most fascinating ant colony they've ever found. But uh, I think more focus on science. There'll be more debate about it because there's going to be more incidents and now they're going to be reported. So do, do I think it'll change the Electoral College output because the aliens decide they <laughs> they they agree with the uh, Arizona Republican Party and Colonel West and they're going to redo it? No, I think the aliens have other stuff to care about. And we're not, you know, nobody, the, the experts aren't saying alien. They're saying stuff we don't understand. And so there will be a national consensus, I think, to get busy trying
1: to understand it. Let it never be said that subjects aren't covered thoroughly
3: <laughs> when we get into the mailbag. Because yeah, next I was, week
1: we're doing, uh, what should we do, the metric system? I would have thought we were going to get a good 60-second answer, and I'm, I think that was three or four minutes, uh, but you raise an excellent point. I wanted to cover all
2: the bases in case the aliens are listening because I want to be sub-commissar for the Southern California working region. The uh, little green men that dropped the ballots off in Phoenix. For Gibbs from Eric, The R's did better than I thought down ballot in 2020, and I wonder if in-person canvassing made a difference or not. It should not be an issue in 2022. Will this help improve Democratic chances and narrow the gap in swing districts? Or is it fool's gold to think that it helps move numbers such as Or is it fool's gold to think it helps move the numbers much at all? Let me just parenthetically say, he's referring to the last election when, due to COVID restrictions, the Democrats had less paid knocking and flushing programs than the R's did.
1: I think it's a great question, and I do think that not having that robust field operation that knocked on a lot of doors in a lot of states did have an impact. I do think the voter contact um, is is important. I think you can't just, we've learned a long ago, you can't just run a race with TV ads that um, there has to be a robust voter contact. I think Democrats were unnecessarily penalized by this because they do spend a lot of time and energy knocking on doors. I know I had a friend who was doing this in Philadelphia because they did resurrect this for a little bit in Pennsylvania. Uh, I think it probably helped uh, in some of those precincts. Uh, same operation went to Georgia for the runoffs. So I, I do think there is some of that. I, I think, and maybe this is a subject we can tackle at a, in a in a later um, episode, Mike, but I, I do think, and you've seen this now, a couple of different audits by Democrats that have said, you know, it. it we had some real messaging challenges in 2020. Yeah, and I think we that's were, the bigger story. We yeah, had some real. Story. I mean, look, I, I think there is a growing challenge here. My five alarm fire for the Democratic Party is Hispanic voters, uh, and and I know, and I know I say this. Hispanic voters are not monolithic. There's a lot of the Hispanic voters are are um, uh, they a lot of different backgrounds and a lot of uh, different issue concerns. I, I don't think we're Having a robust conversation with those voters, I don't think we're meeting those voters where um, they are issue wise. I think we sort of reflexively think uh, of things like immigration ahead of healthcare and jobs and schools. Um, and I, I think there's, uh, I, I think as we peel this back, that's the bigger challenge for the Democratic Party uh, is 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 understanding the dynamics of those voters. Uh, that voters in our coalition are changing or ones that we want to be in our coalition are changing. And we need to get into a a much more robust way of communicating with them uh, with some real personal messages. Yeah.
2: Not on just the terms of identity, which is the great democratic blind spot. All right, Mr. Charlie Sykes, where can people follow you on Twitter or your writings? Plug
3: time. At Sykes, Charlie or at Bulwark.com. If you subscribe to Bulwark Plus, you get my morning newsletter, Morning Shots. Um, you also get uh, Jonathan Last's newsletter, and we have mm. a number of podcasts. But um, our podcast is free. The website is free, and, you, of course, you can follow me. Any time on either one of those.
2: And last is terrific. I have a a special shrine with candles and fan appreciation corner of my basement just for Jonathan. All right. Well, Mr. Gibbs, next week we're going to tackle not only the New York mayor's race, but the lost city of Atlantis and Bigfoot, real
1: and Republican or Democrat. So great to talk to you. Great to see you, Charlie. And uh, onward. People are going to be dissecting your UFO answer for months, oh, Murphy. God. We're going to need to set up an entirely new <laughs> a new email just to take questions. There's, there's a that. secret coded
2: message inside it, by the way. <laughs> All righty. I'll, I'll see you Thanks, on Zorgon guys. 6. Take care.